Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. Whether you're thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career, we want to help you live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my HR leadership expertise, and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, pointers, career stories, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Our topic today is personal finance in your career. There is a very strong connection between our finances and our life and career goals. Today's discussion will offer a broad perspective on some of the considerations around personal finances in making career decisions. And while this is a fundamental modern career topic, we are also in exceptional economic times. The current economic conditions are brutal. And while we all hope there'll be a swift recovery one day, we know that it's going to take some time. And in the meantime, personal finances and how they can affect our career decisions matter even more. We are in a situation where there are millions who are unemployed with many millions underemployed, furloughed, have received a pay cut, or just aren't working to the level they were previously. And we know that retirement portfolios and all financial portfolios have taken a hit. So we're really pleased to have with us two guests who can help us step back, regroup, and consider what makes sense fundamentally as we think about finances and our careers, but also given our new context. Let me introduce our guests. Sandy Bragar. Sandy is the Managing Director of Planning, Strategy, and Research at Asperian, a top financial planning firm headquartered in California. She's responsible for creating leading practices that help clients navigate the complex facets of their financial lives. Her areas of expertise include all aspects of financial planning, charitable gift planning, and retirement planning. Sandy holds a BA in business economics from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and is a certified financial planner. Thank you for being here, Sandy. Mary, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And also we have with us Andy Hamilton. Andy is a director at Experian with deep experience in investment operations and wealth management. Andy earned a BS in managerial economics from University of California, Davis. He completed the personal financial planning program at University of California, Berkeley, and is also a certified financial planner. Thank you also, Andy, for joining us. Uh, Mary, thank you for having me. Let's jump in. What does managing your personal finance really mean? And what aspects of personal finance are the most important to know about, Sandy? I view managing personal finance, Mary, as being in control of your money and all aspects of your financial life. So this goes beyond earning and spending money. It includes saving and investing so that you build a net worth and ultimately doing things to protect that net worth. Now, that said, if we dive a little bit deeper, there are many areas of personal finance, and many of our clients are often surprised that we touch on them. They often think that we're just doing some financial planning and investment management. But the areas of personal finance include budgeting, credit optimization, so that's optimizing credit cards, mortgages, and other loans that you might have, income tax planning, investment planning, of course, retirement planning, 
finding the right ways to invest for the long term and putting money aside on a tax deferred or tax free basis. Insurance, and this is a whole world in and of itself. There's life insurance, health insurance, disability, long-term care. Those are things that sometimes people can buy through their employer, but maybe that's not the best place to buy it. And there's also property and casualty insurance. So insurance to help protect your home or your property if you're renting, insurance to help protect liability while you're driving your car. Then there's estate planning. Finally, on my list, I'll say cybersecurity and identity theft protection which many people don't think of as a personal finance topic, but it's a really important one. And so I just mentioned there's just so much ground that personal finance covers. And I think the best place for people to start is to create their own compass to guide them through their financial plan. And the starting point is really to determine what is the purpose of money in your life? What role do you want it to play? What are your values? And how does your relationship with money reflect and align with those values? Oftentimes, if if there's not values alignment, people feel really uncomfortable when they're making money decisions. They might hide away from those decisions and they might make decisions that really don't serve them well. So creating this foundational vision that is aligned with values will allow people to more easily develop goals and make solid money decisions that play into their career and other important decisions in their lives. Yeah, I think it's being aware of and intentional about the financial decisions that you make on a daily basis. These include decisions around spending, saving, investing, and giving away money, supporting the charitable organizations that you wish to support. And it's assessing the impact of those decisions on your long-term financial picture. And I think the best starting point is really determining your current financial baseline. That is your assets and your liabilities, which form your balance sheet or your net worth statement. And then also assessing your inflows and outflows. What does your cash flow look like? And these two building blocks are really the key to the development of a personal financial plan. And once you have these two, you can start to think about what it is that you want to accomplish from a personal financial standpoint and develop a plan for getting there. Also, a lot of people neglect what I like to refer to as the hit by the bus plan. That's not really a term of art there, but it's pretty obvious that something happened to you. How would you want your affairs to be handled? And what people would you want to provide for in your plan? And how would you want to provide for them? It's important to have a plan in place because you never know when something's going to happen. And you want to ensure that your your financial situation gets carried out if something unexpected happens to you. And it really starts with an estate plan. You'd be surprised, I think, by how many new clients that I work with, many cases quite well off, who don't have an estate plan in place. And this, the basics of an estate plan are a will. In some cases, a trust can make sense. It depends on what state you're living in. A healthcare directive. Who do you want to make the healthcare decisions for you if, some, if you're not able to do so? And it may involve life insurance or disability insurance. That's really where you've got to kind of tie those pieces of the puzzle into your financial plan. And it's just worth mentioning that obviously it's your odds of becoming permanently disabled are quite a bit higher than those of you of passing away. And so I'd say for a working professional, disability insurance in many cases is even more important than life insurance because you do need to protect that earnings power. Depending on the amount of resources needed to provide for your loved ones, possibly putting in place some life insurance. This isn't a topic that people like to talk about because it forces you to face your own mortality. 
but it's important and it's a key component of any solid financial plan. Thank you both. There's so much richness there. And I want to come back to a couple if we could before we move on. So gosh, in no particular order, but you both mentioned sort of the balance sheet and taking stock of earnings and income and what's coming in and also where you're spending money. Any tips on how you think about that, on having a budget, managing your budget, your spending, your credit card debt, just in terms of any tips given also the environment that we're in? Well, I'd say in terms of budgeting, we rarely talk about a budget because a budget's a very, it's kind of a dirty word. <laughs> People don't like to talk about budgeting. Oh, really? <laughs> we always talk about it in terms of cash flow and it's really inflows versus outflows. And there's a lot of ways that you can assess your inflows versus your outflows. There's all sorts of tools available online. I know one of the more popular ones is Mint. I'll be honest with you, I just use an Excel spreadsheet that I've been using for years. It's just very easy for me. It's a little old school. The important thing is to, one, to track it over a significant period of time, ideally a couple of years, because one thing that I find is that, particularly on the expense side, things aren't always consistent. You can't always take a month or two of spending data and extrapolate it out for a full year or multiple years. You really need to see it over a multi-year period and also build in some contingencies, build in a little bit of a surplus. Oftentimes what we'll do in a cash flow model is we'll build in what we call accruals. And they are things such as a car purchase, for example. If you buy a new car, you're probably not buying a new car every year. And so what we'll do is build in an allowance that basically we're accruing for a future car purchase in the spending estimate. Also things like home repairs. Hopefully you aren't repairing your home every couple months, but things do come up. And so we think it's important to build a line item in for those items, even if they aren't happening every year. And what about, maybe this comes into a different category, but protecting yourself in terms of an emergency fund as well and having that cushion and buffer. Yeah, it's really important. Oftentimes when we're working with clients, once we have a sense of what their lifestyle costs, we'll help them figure out the right amount of emergency reserve to put aside. And it could be a few months worth of living expenses. In other cases, it might be a full year's worth of living expenses. It really just depends on who the client is, what they're spending, and how much money they have. Because if there's no other sources of cash in a pinch, having cash set aside is really, really important. And folks in that category might want to have a little bit more. Whereas someone who has a larger investment portfolio could always sell investments if they needed to and and skip having as much cash off to the side as an emergency reserve. So it just sort of depends. But Mary, you'd asked a question earlier about credit cards. And I think this is a really good time to bring those into the picture because we think about credit cards from a financial planning perspective as a tool to build good credit. Whereas I think many people fall into the trap of thinking about credit cards as a way to cover cash shortfalls. And I think that can be a really slippery slope and get people into trouble. So the best thing to do around credit cards is to have a couple of them, to use them all the time, but not to use them a lot. So that sounds like a contradiction there, but you want to use your credit cards often, but you don't want to tap into more than about 30% of the available credit. 
That's going to help you boost your credit score. And you want to make sure that you pay your credit cards off completely. American Express makes you do that, but none of the other credit cards will. will. So in today's modern era, it's pretty easy to set up automatic payment plans so that you can have your credit card paid off directly as a debit from your checking account. And that's definitely best practice. And maybe I'd add comment, please, on this. But obviously, if you're starting to repay that debt, you start with the highest interest rates first and you make sure you focus there and bring it down. Absolutely. What about also, I know that the three credit bureaus offer free reports annually for people. I'm always a little bit surprised that not everyone looks at their credit or pulls those three reports every year. Why do you think that is? Or is that true? I suspect you're correct. And I think it's because everybody's busy and it's hard to think and be on track to do that all the time. And so unless you're, you're really diligent about setting up reminders, it's just something that can easily slip your mind. I know certain credit cards will actually help you by offering credit monitoring services. So they'll report on changes to your credit number periodically. So that's a nice benefit for people who fall into the bucket of sort of being overwhelmed with other things. Well, maybe that brings us to, you mentioned earlier, Sandy, cybersecurity threats and ID theft. I mean, I would think even once a year might not be enough to be checking out what's going on. What should we be thinking about in that regard with cybersecurity and ID theft? I'll chime in here. I think checking your credit report annually is a good practice. But I think beyond that, again, this could be a bit of a hassle at times, but I think freezing your credit is really important because the combination of those two, actually freezing your credit and checking your credit report on a regular basis, can do a lot toward reducing your risk of being a credit victim, of having someone actually open up a credit facility in your name unknowingly. Now, the one thing that with the credit freeze that can be a bit of a hassle is if you actually do need to establish a new credit facility, you will need to temporarily unfreeze the credit freeze. But it's something that you can do within a matter of days. And I think it's certainly well worth the hassle to to have that peace of mind that freezing your credit can provide. Now, since we're talking about cybersecurity, I want to jump in with a pro tip here, which is Having a password manager is so key and so important in modern times, and it's a big component of personal finance. So if you're not familiar, a password manager is just an app you can have on your phone and on your laptop, wherever, and you keep all of your passwords safe in the password manager. You can keep the PIN number that you'd need to unfreeze your credit. And it's just a great way to ensure that you have really long, hard to remember passwords that no one else can find and keep track of and really help keep you organized. Let me ask you about retirement just before we move on as well. What's rule of thumb in terms of saving towards retirement sort of percent of your salary each year? And and just, I would say as an HR professional, I was always a bit surprised that people left their minimum match for their retirement on the table. Some did. A lot of people maximized it, of course, and benefited from that. But not everybody gets the whole match. And sometimes they withdraw early and not for dire circumstances for, you know, I'm going to redo my kitchen or something. Thoughts about retirement savings? We love retirement savings opportunities. They're such a great benefit to a financial plan because of all the great tax deferred, or in the case of Roth accounts, tax-free compounding. 
I don't know what the rule of thumb is, Mary, but I know my personal rule is try to get as much money in those retirement plans as you possibly can. And there is a maximum of how much you can contribute. And depending upon your financial situation, you may not be able to reach that maximum. But if we go back to the budgeting conversation and Andy's comments about budgeting earlier, I think if you can budget in that savings, you're going to be so much better off in the future when you need that money. By maximizing the contributions that you can personally make, you will take advantage of any employer matches and money that is available in a retirement plan can be tapped when needed. And usually it's better for situations that are more dire. So maybe not a home or kitchen remodel, but I know under the CARES Act that was passed recently, there is an opportunity for people to withdraw $100,000 from their 401k or IRA if they've been personally impacted by COVID. So either gotten sick directly, cared for someone else in their family who's gotten sick or have been financially impaired by the COVID situation. And for people who take that amount of money out or up to that amount of money, they can elect to pay tax on that over a three-year period. So 2021, 22. And they have that full three-year period to return the money to their retirement plan in case their financial situation changes and they are able to do so. So it's really a great opportunity to have money in those accounts to access really in severe times if you need to. But the goal would be not to touch the money to allow it to continue to grow, get that employer match, which is a big part of compensation. People don't really think about it like that. It's often talked about as free money, but it's part of your compensation package. And tax-deferred compounding over many decades makes a huge difference in one's retirement savings later on in life. Yes, it does. So you've both touched on this, but I'd love to ask, what are some good habits to develop around personal finance and attaining your personal goals? And what do the most successful people do? So in terms of good habits, I think writing down your goals and refining them annually makes a really big difference. Because if you articulate your goals, you can be very clear on what they are, what you want to achieve, how much it's going to cost when you want to achieve them by. And your goals will change over time. So looking at them each year will allow you to keep on track. Another good habit is maximizing retirement plan contributions like we just discussed. And then third on my list of top habits would be being organized. So you want to keep all of your financial papers, probably electronic records, organized so that you can put your fingers on them when you need them. This makes tax return preparation helpful. It makes it helpful when you need your estate planning documents or your insurance contracts. You just know where everything is. So being organized is really key. And in terms of the most successful people, I really will respond to this based on my 20-year experience and working with many different clients who tend to be corporate executives and entrepreneurs. And I would say the most successful people have vision and awareness. And so when I talk about vision, it's not just that they want to retire by age 50. It's what they're going to do at age 50 once they're retired, how they're going to fill their life, what provides them with purpose and enjoyment. So the vision is really clear and the awareness comes in when they are keeping track of what can impact that personal financial vision that they have. So if a tax law changes or an investment opportunity comes up, they're asking themselves, how is this going to help or thwart the vision that I have and how do I plan around that? The next 
attribute of successful people that I've interacted with is their ability to delegate things that they don't have time or energy or focus on, or maybe skill. And so that's where folks like Andy and I and our colleagues come into play. We are able to help our clients get things done that they don't otherwise have the time, the skill, or the attention to complete on their own. And and that's a really great benefit. And then the third attribute is savings. Again, I can't say that enough. I feel like a broken record, but successful people really understand what it means to save money and to invest and have it grow over time. I agree with Sandy that the first step is actually listing out your goals. And I think that's something that a lot of people fail to do, frankly. And it's not just the financial goals, also the personal goals, although I think the line between the two can often be pretty blurred. And then once you've listed them out, define the action steps that you can take both now and in the future to keep you on track for achievement of those goals. I think the most common example that we see is purchasing a home, which is a pretty big goal for most people. And I think the best way to approach it is to break it up into a number of smaller goals because on the surface, the goal of purchasing a home is just it can be too big. And so think about the down payment. How do you get to the down payment over a period of time? Well, that ties into your cash flow. How are you going to save that amount that you need to save to make that down payment? Also on the credit side, this is where monitoring your credit becomes important. If you're going to need to apply for a loan, you better make sure your credit is in order. And so being aware of what your credit score is, and if it's not where it needs to be to obtain the loan that you need to obtain, what are the steps that you can do over a period of time to improve your credit score? And then it's also making sure that you build up a reserve that is going to be available for those additional expenses. If you're thinking about purchasing home a couple of years down the road and that's gonna come with additional expenses, is that going to work? within the confines of your cash flow situation. And so it's breaking those big goals into smaller bite-sized chunks that can often be a very effective approach. Also, as it pertains to your overall financial plan, creating accountability and ways to monitor your progress. For example, if your plan relies on you saving a certain amount each year, are you actually saving that amount? It's easy to put it down on paper, but Are your actions actually resulting in the savings that you need to make your plan work? Get in the habit of checking your accounts and making sure that you are saving the amount that you need to save. One of the things that I do is I have a cash flow model that says I should be saving a certain amount each year. Then what I'll do is at the end of the year, go in, look at my account and see, did I add enough to the account that it matches up with my cash flow? And if so, great. If not, what happened? Did I make less? Did I spend more? Was it some combination of the two? Just kind of evaluating that as you go on along helps keep a good financial plan on track. Now, in terms of habits of successful people, honestly, I agree with everything that Sandy said. We work with a lot of the same clients, so we see a lot of the same habits. I think that what I find is the most successful people are disciplined. They truly are disciplined and they don't get distracted by the noise that's out there. And there's a lot of noise out there in the media. A lot of people saying, oh, you should be doing this. You should be doing that from a financial standpoint. They're very good at, to the extent they need to, really putting on the blinders. And they know what they want and they're good at tuning out those things that may take them off track in terms of their plan. I love all your comments, both of you. I just want to comment on a couple Having a personal vision 
and your personal purpose and really investing to shape that and keep it agile because as you say, it changes. But that's so important from a career perspective. Companies are always working on their purpose and vision, but how do you know if you want to work for that company? Do those visions match? And does each of your career decisions help you move towards where you want to be in terms of that personal vision. I love that point. The other thing you mentioned, well, Andy, you mentioned doing a year in review as well and taking stock of how you did against your goals and and really, again, investing in that. That's really, really important. Professionals, though, I've noticed colleagues, you've seen it. They're not always as strong in this area of personal finance as they may be in other aspects of their professional lives. And earlier you mentioned time, and then just now, Andy, you mentioned discipline. What else? Why is that? I know that I've improved my own knowledge and acumen and strengthened it over the course of my career, but what is it that holds us back? What gets in the way? Any thoughts on that? I have a few. I think that, first of all, in our society, we don't spend a lot of time educating each other, ourselves around personal finance. So a lot of us go into our careers without a lot of understanding of different decisions that we make need to make that will impact our personal finances. I remember my first day at Ernst & Young, our HR person came into the room and said, it's time to make 401k decisions and you have to choose your investment allocation. And I had no idea what an investment allocation was. So I really think that people need to either invest in the education themselves, which can be really hard to do when you're in your career and you're busy and you're trying to work on your skill set and you don't have a lot of time in the day, or you need to work with someone else that you can delegate that to. And I think the folks that don't take the time to build up their knowledge or to realize that they are never going to get there and just ignore it, they're at an impasse. They tend to realize too late in their lives that there are some decisions that they could have made along the way that could make things a lot easier for them. So it's really unfortunate when that happens. Well, and maybe this next question goes right along with that, but how does personal finance management change throughout your career and affect the decisions you make? I think it depends on your career. Generally, it will become more complicated and the decisions that you'll have to make can have a more material impact on your long-term financial plan. I think early in a career, a lot of the decisions really revolve around current cash flow. How much is falling to the bottom line every year? Should I save in a retirement plan? Which retirement plan should I save in? Which insurance plan should I roll in? It's really more of a kind of short-term cash flow plan in the early years. But then what we often find is as people progress in their careers, They move up the so-called ladder. Oftentimes, they're presented with more opportunities. That can take the form of an opportunity to buy into a business. It could be in the case, oftentimes in the case of a public company, equity compensation, or important opportunities to participate in other retirement plans that are beyond just your basic 401k or Roth 401k. And it's important to, I think, evaluate decisions around all of these through the lens of your overall financial plan. How do they fit into the plan? Uh, If there's a significant risk involved in the instance of buying into a business, for example, can you afford to take the risk? And is the potential payoff really worth the risk? And if their taxes are part of the equation, are there ways to reduce the tax impact? 
think that taxes can certainly add up over time. And doing what you can to manage that becomes more important, I think, as you progress through your career. And frankly, the dollars tend to become a lot bigger. And for those people who are fortunate enough to reach a point in their career where they no longer need additional employment earnings to achieve their goals, should the decision about what to do next be guided more by personal satisfaction rather than financial rewards? I think it's something that people struggle with a lot. A lot of people don't want to leave money on the table just for the sake of leaving money on the table. But sometimes that's the best decision. And I think this is where it's important to ask yourself, really, what's important to you? What are your values? And then discuss those things with the people that you trust and love. I have a short story that I'm going to just jump in with to build on what Andy was saying. There's a couple that I work with and the wife is very successful in her career and she accumulated enough wealth for the family to be able to retire early. And it was at the age when their kids were just graduating college, were really independent and they thought they were fine and they were. But then her old boss came around and said, oh, there's a startup company. I've been asked to go lead it. I'd really like you to be part of my team. I think it's going to be a really successful company. And all those career aspirations that she had came flooding back. And she's like, oh, my God, this sounds so great. But what do I do? I was going to be retired. And so ultimately, what she and her husband decided was that while they were on their sort of first round of retirement, they'd done a lot of really amazing travel adventures, and they really loved it. And they hadn't really built out a budget for that in their initial plan. And so if they wanted to keep traveling at that level, they'd either have to cut back on something or she could take this job opportunity. And so she decided that she wanted to take it. She worked really hard for three years, you know, seven days a week, round the clock, but she knew why she was doing it. And as soon as that company got launched, IPO'd, lockups off, she sold her stock. And up until the stay-at-home rules came into play, they had been just bouncing around from one foreign adventure travel experience to the next. So I just share this story to say that there are a lot of twists and turns in life. Having real clarity about what you're trying to do and aligning that with your career decisions makes a really big difference. I think the people who I've seen who really lack satisfaction in their lives are ones who are working really hard for financial gain just for the purpose of having financial resources and without having any purpose around it. And once they have an opportunity to step back and think about what their purpose and their goals are, it's almost as if a light bulb goes on in their mind and their lives are are completely transformed. Mm, Really well said, Sandy. Thank you for that. For both of you, how does the current economic context impact our personal finance decisions, thoughts. We mentioned the unemployment, the underemployment, retirement, I guess home values have also decreased. So maybe making moves, career moves, having to consider selling or buying a home, salary requirements, thoughts at all on how does the current context apply? It changes a lot of things for many people. And I think the question is, how long is it going to change it for? I believe most of us expect a new normal to result from this situation, but no one has any clarity at this point about what that looks like. So 
I'll say that long-term planning always involves many uncertainties. There's twists and turns that will occur over time. Some we can anticipate, some like this current situation that we might not have been able to. And so in these periods of extreme uncertainty, like the one we find ourselves in now, I think it's best to really narrow one's planning focus if they're feeling overwhelmed. And one technique that I found that's worked with clients is to have them create a list of all the things, all the financial decisions that are weighing them down, just so they can get those thoughts and topics out of their head and onto a piece of paper. And once they have that list, we go through and we organize around what's impacting them, what needs a decision now, what could be put off a while, and what can we just tackle later on. And that really allows people some time and energy to focus, to take a breath. And so for people who are being impacted now because maybe they lost a job, perhaps on their now list is is really looking at their cash flow, looking at their financial resources, taking stock of what they have and how they're going to be able to cover their needs. The soon category might be a job search and retirement planning is later on. You don't have to worry about that now. So I think this list can really help people stay organized. And I think it's also important, Mary, to realize that when hard financial times hit us, all we can do is make the best decisions we can make today based on the information we have available to us. And as new information becomes available, we can always change and pivot if we need to. And I think also it's a good reminder not to anchor too much on how things look and feel today. I was thinking about this because now that we're about two months into the stay-at-home shelter-in-place orders, I've realized that I've created whole new routines for my days. And I was thinking about my old routine, and it feels like ages ago, but it's only been two months. And I don't think we're going to be in this situation forever. It might take a while until we can live our lives more freely again. So not anchoring too much on how things look and feel today is really important. And then as we've been discussing, I think always keeping in mind and focusing on what matters most to you is really important because it allows you to strip away a lot of the noise that can lead to stress and overwhelm. There's no doubt it's an uncomfortable time. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air. We don't know when things are going to return to some sense of normalcy. And I find that during times like these, people often feel the need to just do something. And I think that comes out of some sense of a loss of control. And oftentimes where I find this manifests itself is with respect to their investment portfolio. Obviously, the markets have been quite volatile over the last few months, and people feel like they need to react to that volatility by doing something. And it's different for everyone. Some people want to make a drastic move. Other people feel like they just want to make some sort of small move. And this is where I think it makes sense to go back to the financial plan. What is the financial plan built on? Because ultimately, the investment portfolio is a driver of the financial plan. It's a way to get you from point A to point B. And is there anything in the current environment that has changed the relationship between your portfolio and the plan? More often than not, the best answer is to do nothing unless there's been a significant change in your financial circumstances. It's oftentimes it's just best to do nothing. If the plan is well built and is built to withstand times like these. And also, I think it's 
looking at are there opportunities? Are there things that you can do with depressed asset values? Things like transferring wealth if it falls, if it makes sense in terms of your financial plan. Are the assumptions in your plan still appropriate? This is a good time to kind of reconsider those assumptions. Fair market is always a good stress test for any financial plan. And it's important to assess whether your plan can stand up to the stress of an environment like this. Excellent. Many may be thinking in these times of really high unemployment that it could make sense to return to get an MBA or other grad school or further education. What might someone need to think about? Just a couple of tips when they're thinking about that as an alternative or thinking about an investment in further education. Yeah, so Mary, I think there's two different considerations. First is, what's the reason for going back to school? Three reasons I could think of, and I'm sure there's many others for different people, but one would be to develop and hone new skills. Second would be to expand your network. And the third would be just, it's a convenient way to wait out for a better job market. And so if you think about your reasons for going and you pair that with how are you going to pay for it? So if you have money available to pay for it or someone else, maybe a parent or other relative has money available to pay for it, I think you have kind of one line of thinking. And if you have to borrow money to pay for the graduate school experience, then I think there's a whole different line of thinking that you need to think through. So let's focus on the there's money available paying for the education. Well, if you're going to develop and hone new skills, you really want to think about what is the opportunity cost on the money that you'd be spending on the education? What else could you or someone else do with that money? And how does that compare to the experience you expect to have? Another way to think about this is in terms of networking. If you want to expand your network, spending the money on going to graduate school might be a good way, but there might be other things you can do too different volunteer experiences or even work experiences. And then a convenient way to wait for a better job market, again, you really have to ask yourself that the money's there. Is this the best way to spend the money? I think if you don't have the money to spend and you have to borrow it, I think those considerations are just harder to think about. You have to have higher conviction that you're going to get the experience that you want and that you're going to be able to get a return from that experience that's going to exceed the cost of the debt. And I'll just say too, in this time of the COVID pandemic, I think there's just a whole nother question, which is what will the graduate school experience be like? I mean, I don't think anyone knows what it's going to be like when schools open back up again in the fall. And that could be another consideration to take in mind when you're, you're thinking through this. I took the GMAT my senior year of college because I was convinced that I was just going to work for a couple of years because at the time... Most MBA programs required at least two years of work experience. So my plan was work two to three years and then go get my MBA. That was always the plan. And I got into the workforce a few years past and all of a sudden was bumping up against the five-year expiration date for my GMAT score because GMAT scores are only good for five years. And so I had a decision to make and I went through a decision process and it kind of went like this. A, do I want to put my current career on hold because I was assuming I was going to do it full-time and leave the workforce. Do I want to put on hold for two to three years? B, do I want to move to a career down the road that'll likely require me to have an MBA? Or C, if I remain on my current career path, will an MBA get me there sooner or open up other opportunities within that career path? And for me, as I went through and answered all three questions, the answer was clearly no. 
to all three of them. So it was actually a pretty easy decision for me to reach. For others, I think the decision's not quite as straightforward, especially those thinking about a career change. It's, it's a little bit more challenging. In terms of timing, I think you could make the argument that now wouldn't be a bad time to do it, especially if you feel like your career path may be stalled by the current economic climate. Probably going to be a pretty tough job market for a couple of years, and hopefully in two to three years, the economy will be on better footing and the job market will have improved. So all things considered, now might not be the worst time to do it. Thank you both for sharing on that. And before we close, I've got one last question. What's the one thing people can do today to start better managing their personal financial health and planning for the future? I think it starts with developing both a short-term and a long-term financial plan. And by that, I mean short-term is really a cash flow plan. It's a maybe one or two-year plan to make sure that your cash flow situation is in order. And then the long-term financial plan is building out all the things that you want to do over the next several decades. And it's, I think, remembering that money is simply a tool that can help you live the life that you want to live. A lot of people get caught up in the idea of more money as a goal, but you can look at, there's been a number of studies done on this that have shown that beyond a certain point, money doesn't equate to more happiness. I think it's when it's part of a larger financial plan that money really serves a purpose and has more meaning. Yeah, it all echo. I think Andy's spot on going through the financial planning process is such an enriching experience. And I think for folks out there who want to do that, taking the time right now to figure out what's most important to you and coming up with your own vision about what you want for your future and how money plays a role in that will really help be a great springboard for the financial plan. And if you're a person who falls into the bucket of just not being familiar enough at this point with all these personal financial planning concepts that we've been talking about, this is a great time if you have it to educate yourself. There's tons of personal finance books and podcasts available. Wealth management firms like ours have blogs and we we write about personal financial topics all the time, including how to find a financial advisor. So there's a lot of really rich resources out there. And if you have the time, we really recommend learning or working with someone who can help fill in for the skill set that you don't currently have. Thank you so much, Sandy and Andy, for your expertise, your insights, and all that you shared with us and for being with us today. It was a lot of fun, Mary. Thank you. Yeah, Mary, thank you. Really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. There's so much to take away from our discussion. One of the things we discussed was that money itself is not the end goal. It is the means to living a full and meaningful life and career. And I think a key takeaway is how important it is to be future-focused. We can only do the best we can with the context at hand. And as Sandy said, pivot as the context changes. It's really important to have that personal vision, purpose, and life and career plan so that we can ensure our financial decisions support and enable where we want to go. There are clearly going to be detours on the way, but with a longer-term plan, it's one that we can definitely reach over time. And as long as we take time to continually develop our knowledge or seek others to help us, we can make it through the detours and we can reach our goals. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com 
and on social media at Modern Career Pod. We'll include the sources noted in the episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you.